0: You're listening to the Irish Times.
1: I must say I'm jealous of you this morning, Pat Nugent. Why are you jealous of me? I'm jealous of you because you just told me that you watched literally one minute of golf over the course of the USPGA Championship, over the four days, and... Tell the people what the minute of golf was.
0: It was the minute where Dustin Johnson closed the gap to one shot on, <laughs>
1: on Brooks Kepka. <laughs> you don't deserve that. Yeah. I spent all four bloody days watching, well, not all four, but an awful lot of all four days watching the most boring golf major in the history of boring golf majors. And I put in the work it was, didn't. A, it was astonishingly underwhelming, wasn't it? It was. Do you know what was interesting about it? Was uh, even if Brooks Koepka hadn't run a mile clear of the field, um, it was a really boring golf course. I was talking to, to the people in my circle that, that watch all the golf. And I was talking to a few of them yesterday. And we were, we were all going, like, that bleeding course... All the holes are just bigger or smaller versions of each other. Like there was at no point are you kind of going, oh, right, oh, he's coming to the 15th. That's that really tricky one with around the corner and up and and he has to go over the water or or anything. None of the holes had any kind of, there was no signature hole. Um, And so you were at no stage, like, like if somebody is seven clear at Augusta, you're going, well, listen, he still has to go to the 12th. You know, a couple of years ago, Jordan Spieth was, whatever, five clear at the turn. And you were still kind of going, yeah, he's got to get around A-man corner here. You know, nothing is nothing is a done deal here. And it turned out it wasn't. He he made balls of it and and didn't win. Um But, like, at no stage, even from, like, on Friday evening, Kepka birdied three of the first four holes to go, like, eight clear. And you're going, well, sure, this is it. There's really, there's a... There is two days of nothing to watch here. Do you mean it's boring visually or oh, that it was visually, unlikely
0: yeah. to take shots off him?
1: Well, not unlikely to take shots off him, but yeah, as a, as a viewing experience. You know, like golf, even I, even I who watch, watches an awful lot of golf will, you know, ac- accept the common criticism that it is at times a boring sport to watch. I get it. I don't, you know. But what prevents it from being a boring sport to watch is the variable. And the variable is the courses. Like the courses that, you know, you're like if you're watching whatever, the Players' Championship, well, at least they have to come to the 17th, you know, with the Island Green. Mm. Or if you're watching, I don't know, something from St. Andrews, there's, you know, there's holes that you're going, oh, my God, like this is this is going know, to, I know what the test is coming here. Whereas, Jesus Christ, Bethpage is just this brutally long course with knee-high rough and in every hole, as long as Kepka got his drive away and it landed on the and fairway... by God or, did or the, he get his drive away. Yeah, because he's the best driver in the world mm. uh, at the minute. And as long as he was able to do that, you're kind of going, eh, nothing bad is going to happen here. Until as the point at which you came in uh, where he had bogeyed four holes in a row uh, uh, and Dustin Johnson had birdied a few, had got to minus eight... Uh, Kepka got to minus nine and like I'm half joking but literally it was exciting for I would say no more than three minutes because then Johnson made a complete horny of his next two holes and it was out to three shots that it was all over I didn't even stay off to watch the end of it
0: <laughs> Which is exactly why we're not going to talk about Exactly, golf. that's why we're yeah. not
1: talking about the golf uh, What we are talking about uh, on today's Out of Time podcast is we're talking a little GAA talking the glorious Ulster Football Championship, which everybody's ignoring, but it is still happening and it has been uh, <laughs> amazing so far, uh, even though Monaghan got beaten on Saturday night. Uh, we'll be talking to Paul Fitzpatrick of the anglo celtic Cavan about that. Uh, we have Sean Moran on later to talk about the hurling and yesterday and the All-Ireland Champions getting beaten and so on. But let's start with, I guess what we call the uh, the last dregs of the rugby season. He says, <laughs> "Maybe that's a little pejorative." I think it is for yeah. the glorious ending of uh, the long rugby season. Uh, Gavin Comiskey is here. Yeah, I can tell by your body language that you're only dying for this to be over. No, you are clearly though. Like he's a, you're just locked into hurling already, aren't you?
2: I completely disagree. I no, really enjoyed I this game. I just witnessed Leinster, a Leinster munster match. There is like this is actually when. Everyone's just checking out, it seems. But no, there's plenty to talk about. There's so many things that happened over the weekend in that game that have long-reaching effects for the World Cup, for uh, and for, for Munster and whether they can how they can handle themselves next season. But um, the what's, game-
0: the, what's the first one of the far-reaching effects? Out of curiosity, is it Van der Fleer? Yeah,
2: yeah, fair enough. The we before the game because Sean O'Brien didn't didn't wasn't like Sean O'Brien we were used to in the. Championship final against Saracens. Um, people, nobody knew who the Ireland Open side was going to be now that Dan Levy is gone. And Van der Flyer shouldn't be on the pitch, he's a miracle man. He had a groin surgery yeah. in February, February yeah. bad serious mm. groin surgery, ruled out for the season, like maybe he'll get back for August. And he pops up then last week at a media thing going, yeah, I'm good to go. So that it was astonishing, not only that, he did it, well Robbie Henshaw did it last year as well, another miracle back for after a couple of months out back and produced a game of his life in a championship quarters, I think it was, or semis. Van der Flyer was the yeah, Conan was the best back row on the pitch, but Van der Flyer, I think, everyone who watched that game, 25 tackles, matching the Monster South Africans physically. That's what I'd never seen from him before. So he's come back stronger. I've never seen him go toe to toe, either making a tackle or carrying into a player of that size, be it a Klein, a Stander or an Arna Bota And match them And overpower them And not be Not break even even Like being being the better player In contact
1: Who's he up against then To start at the World Cup
2: <clears throat> At seven Yeah If you want a seven-seven it, it, It's him now Yeah So there is no open Like Standard played seven On the weekend And I think what they're If you break to me And I think to a lot of people Who've been watching this closely If you break from the weekend Just gone It's now Conan is the Ireland number eight and Right I really don't think There's that much of a debate About this and Van de Flyer looks like the Ireland seven. So and O'Mahony six. <clears throat> it's I I am gonna check, Keep changing my mind. O'Mahony or Stander. O'Mahony or Stander. Just I think right. it has to be O'Mahony because of the other elements of his game and his leadership and all that. But um, uh, Stander coming off the bench along with Henderson or Ty Burn suddenly makes everything seem a little mm. bit better. You know what I mean? Mm. But. Uh, Conan has to get eight uh, Van der Flyer was just superb and also Reese Ruddock if you look at the stats Reese Ruddock was probably was better than Omani um, the, the, I, I really feel like they won the game in the back row because the Munster back row um, was showed up their international calibre well maybe not Arnold Bota he's twice for the spring box but he's nowhere near the, the foreign recruitment that is happening Like a mm. Marcel Coetzee is the proper elite player Ulster have him in their back row Leinster have Fardy Munster's this is part of their problem, the recruitment of their, their elite foreign players, their, their East and the Sea, where the Bundyaki, or we can go on and go on and on, give you mm. examples of the players that make teams better. They don't have that. Um, it's a financial issue. It's a recruitment issue. Um, it's one of their many, many issues as they go into a really troublesome year because post-World Cup, when you lose all the, lose all these Ireland players, we saw what happened to Leo Cullen and Leinster after the twenty fifteen World Cup. I think once we are in for a world of pain in the next season if they don't make drastic changes. So
1: let's get into that a little bit. I saw uh, you tweeting over the weekend. Doug Howlett's gone now as well from yeah. the organisation. Like you know, just from a from a from a brains trust point of view, why why are we anywhere close to working out why? people of this calibre are leaving this club. So, yeah, he was, uh, he's from the commercial department. Mm. Um, Peter O'Reilly tweeted, I ha- haven't seen
2: it uh, confirmed yet mm. from Munster, um, but let's just break it down saying Doug Howlett leaves. Uh, he's also working with the Cork Hurlers, I believe. Uh, uh, Felix Jones leaves, Jerry Flannery leaves. So, I'm, I'm not sure. And they, Philip Quinn, their interim CEO, needs to get out and get his get in front of this now yeah. because the head in the sand thing is just not going to work. Um what what is wrong? Are, are they cleaning house? Uh, maybe they are.
1: Maybe yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's the thing. We could be. I could be looking at this the they're, wrong way. Yeah, like, they, I, like so, it. I think
2: I could, I, I want to stop and say because it's so easy. Just, and, and I've been doing it. I've been going. Look at this. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? They've now got no. They're going into pre-season, the most important time, without a forwards coach, an attack coach. And <laughs> they've just lost some of them, their uh, key person in their back office. They've an interim CEO. What's going on? Philip Quinn should get his arms around this now. They probably won't. They'll do what they normally do and just keep the head down and but it doesn't work in modern sport that, that approach now, I think. And I think like Monster Flans have been kinda I've been quick to kind of have a go at people for pointing out like realities, you know what I mean. But I think there's a lot of them. There's like a silent majority amongst their fans who are just deeply disillusioned. Well, funny, and that's that's what, proven by the attendances. Yeah,
1: that was what I was going to ask you next. Like, like it's you know it's fine for for us for for journalists to kind of ask questions and and all that sort of stuff. What is the sort of the feeling on the ground down down there? Is there a kind of a it's okay these guys have got this, or is it what is going on? Well. My
2: impression is that there is the lack of um, leadership. Let me put it this way, okay? So you go Johan van Gran after the game, you turn around to him and you go, well, he goes, trust me, you know, we will come back stronger. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay. Are those words built on sand? Are they real? Can you bring in an elite calibre international player in this off-season to strengthen this squad that are going to lose six, seven Irish internationals for the first half of the season? You know a bunch of them are going to get injured. And he goes. The only player we've signed for next season is Nick McCarthy. Leinster's third choice scrum half, maybe four choice. Third choice, four choice scrum half is going down there. As Conor Murray's probably, I'd say Craig Casey would be better than him by next season. The Ireland twenties scrum half, if I'm being honest. So that's it. That's all they're getting. So he goes. One thing we do have is we've continuity of player, and you're just like, that's your answer. Continuity of player from a group that can't get past the semi final. They've lost five semi finals. They got to one final in 2017 taken out by Scarletts so since O'Connell has left and his 2015 team couldn't even weren't up to scratch of winning in their Pro 14 final they haven't been at the t- they haven't been able to get over that hump and like Peter O'Mahony has to keep answering that same question over and over again I told it was quite telling O'Mahony did turn around and I think it, it, they're not going to get the help that they want he did Peter O'Mahony turned around and said some parts of our physical game we need to improve certainly but they're not going to improve it. They're going to get worse next season because they're not going to have the players, they're not going to have Tyg Byrne or Peter O'Mahony or Conor Murray or Joey Carberry or Chris Farrell or some of their front row. You mean to tell me they're all going to come out of the World Cup unscathed? Like, this happened to Leinster in 2015 and Leinster all of a sudden looked like a team in rapid decline. Mm. They lost all, all of their pool games. They win one pool game, I think. Yeah, they beat Bath with a bunch of youngsters and it was a young coaching ticket, very similar to what Munster have just gotten rid of, I suppose, or that have just left. Um, and they weren't, uh, it, it really looked like they were they were going nowhere. And But Leinster had the ability to sign James Lowe's, Scott Vardy's and all that. Also what they did was, they looked after Leo Cullen. young van Graan's been given a three-year contract. you got to protect him now, you know what I mean? He's a 39-year-old a young coach who doesn't have the experience. Like, there, is, is there, there should be a guy used to be like in Leinster or bring Cunningham like in Ulster around him to do recruitment, to help him with that. They should have like bring in a Stuart Lancaster. Uh, like they, they look they, they you like bring in a Stuart Lancaster to look after him. Now, the really clearly interesting,
1: interesting is, thing, though, Gavin, is that they, if you wind the tape back, to God rest him, Anthony Foley, they did this. They did him. Yeah. That was what Razzie was for. Razzie yeah. came in initially to, to be that to be Stuart Lancaster before Stuart Lancaster came. Yeah. Uh no. La- Razzie course, was such a
2: good appointment. That it backfired spectacularly <laughs> because he's now going to put on the verge of becoming the best coach in the
1: world or World Cup winning coach. Like, uh, but it I- seemed that their structure, their, their structural idea then was Foley head coach, Razzie as whatever title you want to give him. But that's the structure. Foley, you know, tragically dies. Mm. Razzie becomes the coach, uh, does such a great job, is poached by South Africa. But the structure has changed. He was always
2: probably going back to South Africa, it looks like well, now, fine. to be honest. But, but,
1: but. but surely all, surely the whole idea of a structural thing is that it's independent of who the person is. It doesn't matter. It sh- surely that model ought to have been replicated by now.
2: Well, I don't think anyone in Irish rugby wants to use the word director of rugby anymore. Maybe it's a cash thing, or maybe it's what yeah. you have to pay them or something like that. But <laughs> that, that hasn't happened since that he came and left. Um, like Leo Cullen has not called it... Uh, Leinster don't put titles on anything, but they got their structures right. Connacht is a different thing and it's run differently. And Pat Lamb had total control and did extremely well then they got it wrong with Mr Keane and then Andy Friend has come in and he's just very similar to Lancaster a guy who's got on his CV blotches on his copybook mm. and comes back to Ireland and re totally reignites his career and his reputation because they're good coaches and good coaches have to fail before yes. they get up that's why I think Rob Howley's quite interesting um, quite a successful coach uh, when he's taken over Wales not bad but like came in for a bit of criticism and from Sean O'Brien on the lines about how uh, it was uh, Sexton and Farrell took over and mm-hmm. essentially drew the series for us and messaging and all that but uh, he, he can't be the worst he, like, he also he's got lots of experience he's an attack coach problem is they don't get him till the World Cup same with Stephen Larkham is the other attack coach they're looking for where uh, Australia just had their worst ever year ever the Wallabies with him as attack coach so you know, <laughs> definitely a case for redemption there and they need a forwards coach. Is Paul O'Connell, why did he leave Stade Francais this summer? What's the story? Does he want to be a forwards coach? Does he, like, O'Gara made it very clear last week, I'm not working under anybody anymore. School's out, I'm a head coach. I work for a director of rugby, so he's probably going to take the La Rochelle job. So he's made that clear. He goes, I'll come back on my own uh, two feet. So that actually can be interpreted one way or the other. It puts a lot of heat on Van Graan over the next three seasons, or it doesn't, because O'Gara will be contracted to someone else for two, three years in France, so... Let's, let's look at it as a positive and say that's a, that takes the heat off Van grand. But the, the words just don't mean anything. The promises about we're going to get better. There's no evidence of once they're getting better unless they get help. I don't think they're going to get the financial support. I think that's clear. So it needs to be, they need to get these coaching appointments right. Maybe Larkham and Paul O'Connell or something like that. Because Stephen Larkham and Joey Carberry working together it could be something special. Uh, Paul O'Connell coming in. If ever they needed him, you know, if ever they needed him or they needed a coach of experience levels to take the heat off and Grant to let him grow into the, the Leo Cullen type role, it's now because the evidence is overwhelmingly telling us that they are they're going backwards. They keep saying they've made improvements. They did. They brought in Ty Byrne, they brought in Joey Carberry. There was like, they sorted out their defence, they got back to their semi finals. But when it came to it, they're not like when you lose by 15 points in the RDS to Leinster. And Leinster don't have the World Player of the Year on the pitch. Like it, you, you, right. I don't know how you hide from those, that, yeah. those facts, you know what I mean? Um, they lost by three scores in a game where the game, where we were building up beforehand about how this is it, this is Leinster-Munster. Two, we went two big features on the pages beforehand going, this is the rivalry that represents Irish rugby. And while it was brilliant to watch and it was an enthralling game of rugby, Leinster won pulling up. To go back to to the game, Gavin, uh, on Saturday, we
0: should talk about rugby. Yeah, actual <laughs> nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: boring.
0: What What did you think were, was the was the actual difference on the pitch between the two teams?
2: Um, I'd say it kind of has to be Sean Cronin's try when a, when a uh, when you're when Keane Healy takes a ball, straightens passes. Tiger Furlong, Teich Furlong takes, the, takes the pass, straightens Parsons. Mm. And Cronin takes it, having already burst through the middle as a centre, and changes direction, beats two players, and goes in for a try. This is the Ireland from well, this is the front row, or the Leinster front row we're talking about. That right there is the difference between Leinster and most teams in, on the planet. Um, well, what uh, is that? Is that an organisation? Is that what you
0: mean to have, uh, have, have that? Set felt up that like
2: to me, like they, like the ability of those props and a, uh, to to make those catch and passes. All Test level props should have it, but. Definitely, all elite teenagers have it who are playing centre or at half. Yeah. You know what I mean? And these guys have it. So um, it was like Keane Healy drew the man. Like you have to, you step into the man and then you give the pass. So he st- uh, Healy and Furlong stood their men down to give Cronin the one-on-one, um, and Cronin is Cronin just gets a blue jersey on and you're like, oh, you got to take him to the World Cup as much as Schmidt might have an issue with him or whatever um, with a 37-year-old hooker. And Nostkanel actually did all right. It should be noted that Nostkanel, he protested and you've got to maybe give him the benefit of the doubt, but he was being a lazy runner to come back onside. It was a killer yellow card that uh, Munster gave up 13 penalties. Uh, you can't, you know, you know, a chance against Leinster if you have 13 penalties. Um, uh, but Scandal was coming back on side, lazy runner, and they talked about it during the week about Klein's yellow card the year before. Like, they're not making progress because they're making the same mistakes. And, um, uh, Luke McGrath just saw him and just spun the ball into him yellow card, penalty, three points, sees later. Um, like, and you're down to 14 men in a game like that. Uh, that that. Just killed them, and the flip side was Munster
0: achieving nothing when they were up against 14 men. I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah. Le- Leinster will take a lot of. Uh, they they did a bit of a. They replicated uh, the, what Saracens did. They went up to another level when they went down a man. It was that, but it, it really felt like if you just go back and watch the whole sequence leading up to Cronin's try, it's just different level. Uh, two 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 teams operating on different levels, different kind of standard caliber player. You know,
0: my my dad always has a phrase about people who get in his nerves about how they'd wear you. Yeah, um, I'm going to go out in a limb here and say that if he was a monster player after the game on Saturday he would say of James
2: Lowe he would wear you <laughs> he did, did you see the bit where um, himself and Conway who have been like they are been banging into each other every time they've come up against like Lowe got sent off in Toman Park for taking him out in the air um, the two of them are you, you don't need to watch a game when they're marking each other but they were still grappling with each other uh, as play moved on uh, in some stage in the game and uh, I think Conway kind of got one of those like three inch punches on him or something like that and instead of retaliating <laughs> Low looked up and saw a Munster player running at him and absolutely cut him in two and he celebrated in Conway's face it was <laughs> it was very Hurling-esque actually but uh, yeah he celebrated just uh, slicing another guy in two at Conway he was mouthing non-stop and he does all the time and I'd say drive opponents crazy and probably he does. probably get them a little bit hated and he, uh, you could see uh, it was Luke McGrath trying to calm him down at one stage when he was looking to get in with Conor Murray like Conor Murray's cool and calm and he was trying to ruffle him And uh, but he is this remarkable player who just constantly wants the ball like constantly coming in out of his position and at this stage they've just said yeah they just wind him up and sell him out there because there's no point putting him too structured like that was his issue he's making defensive problems reads and all that when he's gone to fix that and uh, Smart guy, he's just so inspirational. You wonder how uh, they couldn't keep him, have him in the teams for, like all the time. Like he's, like, granted, like Sarson's looked after him and all that, but Saracen's looked after everyone in the Leinster team. Um, incidentally, yeah, uh, Leo Cullen has been annoyed afterwards with uh, nasty headlines because he changed his team. He, uh, I don't think it was the Irish Times. I think we're safe to report, but he was almost
1: the, uh, certainly it was.
2: The uh, he was annoyed with uh, the fact that there was an implication that Sexton was dropped. And in fairness, Sexton was dropped by George Cruz in the last minute of the <laughs> Champions Cup <laughs> final. That's why he was on the bench. But uh, the, uh, Sean O'Brien and Rob Carney, it'd be really interesting. To see, like, that could have been... Rob Carney hasn't confirmed a contract. Yeah. Sean O'Brien's leaving. Yeah. So that would have been their last ever game in the RDS yeah. for Leinster. And neither of them were in the matchday squad. Now... They both ha- They both went through some physical punishment the week before. O'Brien made it to training on Thursday. Back in the day when O'Brien makes it to training on Thursday, O'Brien starts. Yeah. Those days have gone, yeah. you know. So it'd be very interesting because we were put at the cull in there and going, okay, what's the story with them? They'll be back for the final. and He goes, we'll see. It'd be very interesting to see if they're um, uh, in the. Uh, it's. I mean, this applies to Ireland selections and everything. Not uh, Rob Kearney's definitely going to the World Cup, obviously, but um, they would be very interesting if they make the squad for Glasgow because. Um, uh, Larmer did okay lots of mistakes but like still brilliant and Van der Flyer, 25 tackles give us, um,
1: give us a quick read on the final
2: um, I don't think you can take too much from Ulster getting wiped by Glasgow um, I just don't um, I just think uh, like Dan McFarlane was very telling he goes we weren't at our best and even if we were at our best we wouldn't have been up to it well, that tells you that Okay, the Pro is not very strong. Mm. That's what that tells me if mm. a coach is saying that after a semi-final. Um, the Glasgow at their best in a final in Glasgow, yeah, they, they could cut loose at a Celtic park. Um, but if Leinster bring their cup final, if they've got enough in the tank, which they should do because the hurt of Saracens, they should be, put it this way, a season ago, I went to Scottsdale and Glasgow were about to make their next step and become European contenders and Leinster went there and just ground them into the dirt. So, they have, they, they have the blueprint to beat them. Mm. It's just a matter of whether they can deliver it at this very last moment in the season that you are gagging to let go of. Hey, I, was cut teasing. Loose. I was
1: teasing. I was teasing. I can't wait for the final. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much and uh, we will chat to you anon. The real sport, Pat, of course, is in Ulster football these days. That's the only football province that matters, isn't it? Well, it's the only sport that matters. Come on now. Like, you know, the Hurling Championship, it really hasn't taken off yet. No, that's true. Compared to, well, compared to the amazing shit that went on in Ulster over over Saturday and Sunday.
0: Down Armagh was a a flat-out cracker, wasn't it? It was a
1: dinger of a game. An absolute dinger of a game. Uh, And uh, oddly, I was kind of thinking, watching it last night, it was deferred coverage on BBC last night. Um, now I know this isn't the perfect way to do it, but it actually worked out pretty well last night because, uh, like the the day is hurling and all that was over at about six o'clock. Uh, but even at that stage, like it had gone to extra time up there, and you're kind of going, hey, "Here, I might watch this when it comes on now in, in in a couple of minutes." And I watched a fair bit of it; it was, it was deadly.
0: <laughs> it's almost like they should be showing more games on television. Yeah,
1: exactly. Anyway, one game that was in television on Saturday night, uh, much to. Uh, much to my chagrin, of course, was uh, Monaghan's defeat to Cavan, or as uh, no doubt our guest would frame it, uh, Paul Fitzpatrick of the Anglo Celt, Cavan's glorious win over Monaghan in Brefney Park. Paul, how are you? Not too bad, Malachi. Thanks very much. Not too bad. Well, uh, sorry to get you out of bed on a Monday morning when you clearly uh, a week celebrating to do for a once in a generation victory over uh, your near neighbours. Ah, uh,
3: yeah. I look at. Uh, I think. Uh, the memory is getting very short over on the Faraday side of the boundary <laughs> and I think we're getting off on the wrong foot here, so I don't think we should be in conflict. It's done <laughs> to, The, the, the uh, giants have re-established themselves now, That's so it, I think yeah. we, can, we can move on.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll go back to being uh, uh, their traditional uh, minnow in this uh, partnership. Um, the It was, in, in fairness... Uh, Even allowing for what what I presume even you will say was a a ridiculous penalty decision, there was uh, no doubt in this victory. Like Cavan were by a distance the better team.
3: They were, yeah. Well, I I felt coming into it that I I really felt the Cavan would win it, and the reason was um, I just thought conditions were perfect for Mm. I suppose what you call an ambush in that Monaghan were missing so many players. First of all, like. When, when word started to see power tour in the week that Jack McCarron was out we knew that Darren Hughes was out Neil McAdam um, Gavin Newman was supposed to be not going to play and then then there was word that Conor McCarthy was exam tied and probably wouldn't start the game and then looking on the Cavan side of it we had, we had everyone You know, we, we basically had for the first time in my memory we went into championship with every player fit mm. so being showing home advantage as well it, it like I felt that it was just that up for Kevin. and in fairness they had lost the last three championship games against Monaghan and Mickey Graham had been promising blood and thunder in the, mm. the build-up. So, I, I wasn't hugely surprised, yeah. I wasn't yeah. hugely surprised that Gavin
1: won it. And funny, I wasn't either. I kind of, I must say, I bottled my preview on, on Saturday. I had I, I previewed the game and all the way through it I was basically going, like, Kevin should win this. Uh, but, I think I was just swayed in the end by the recent history between the teams. The fact that there's been never anything between them, but Monaghan have always found their way. But I really, I was kicking myself afterwards for not just attaching enough significance to the fact that Darren Hughes is missing. Like, talk about, you know, somebody who's more appreciated in his absence than in his presence. Yeah,
3: absolutely. No, he's he's the pulse of the team. And and really, we were sort of, I would say weak in midfield, but we had sort of two novices in midfield in, mm. in Thomas Gallagher and Conor Brady for long spells of the game, and like that was an area that definitely confused out of the there. You'd imagine that it would have it would have given Monaghan the upper hand, but even you know looking back through it, a goal generally decides. Like actually, actually, a lot of these games there's no goal, but when mm. there is a goal, that generally decides these Cavan Monaghan games, and I I felt that looking at the stats, if if it bore any correlation to the league, that that was going to be an advantage for Cavan because I think along with Carlo, they had the giant best goal concession yeah. record in the league, which is a which is a hallmark of Mickey Graham's actually. And then on the other end, Monaghan, I think after scoring two goals against Dublin in the first round of the league, they only got one goal in the next six games, and they didn't really threaten the goal uh, really um, on Saturday night either. So, that, Kevin just had that little little bit more about him either.
1: Yeah, and I felt they were they were. Almost sort of more professional about it. Like Monahan had like nine shots from play in the first half and didn't score any of them. And like three or four of them were like. Much, everybody loves Conor McManus and will love him till the end of days in Monaghan. But uh, his his license to shoot from anywhere in any conditions is great as long as a fair percentage of them go over. But like God, he was miss, he was missing the posts by miles. Never mind missing the <laughs> missing the sweet spot.
3: Yeah, there was one. It was funny you mentioned that because there was one incident, um, and I met a, a former Cavan player after the match. And we were talking about it in in 2015. See, if you if you take 2013, um, Monaghan Cavan had just come. They had bottomed out really mm. in, in 2011, 2012, and um, they had come with, a, with an ultra defensive system, and Monaghan beat them by a point and went on and won the ultra final. But Cavan came back up to the quarter final. 2015, then both teams had kind of moved on, and Cavan Monaghan was in Bresley Park that year and obviously Monaghan were four four. or Cavan was four points up with 12 minutes to go Monaghan came back but there was one moment in that game where McManus was being marked by Fergan Flanagan uh, for Cavan and McManus just sort of escaped his clutches for one of the only times really and he he, he had a look at the post he, he jinked right as he as he loves to do and it was just underneath the stand and he called in one of these absolute worldies I remember it well yeah yeah but there was there was a moment on, on on Saturday night where he was in the exact same position and it, again he escaped the clock to the Falkner and he went for basically I'd say it wasn't a couple of yards away from where the, the one he went for four years mm. ago and he blazed it in my right. So you know, I I thought at that moment, Jesus, the last time or the, the time before last at the Beatles here, um, that was going over the bar. So those things were sort of going against him. But uh, I I R- it was Rory Dunn actually, a former Captain player, I met him on Saturday night and, I mentioned that to him and he said he couldn't well remember that score and he said when that score went over he, he knew in his heart that that was the score that had just mm. broken Calvin. Mm.
0: By the way Paul I, I'm impressed you didn't rise to Maliki's bait there and you ignored the fact that it actually was a penalty uh, and, and that it <laughs> was it was an absolutely fair decision but anyway we'll move beyond I just beyond took that, that. as red. Well. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah it was a penalty. The cornerback pushed him in the back. Wiley pushed him. All right.
1: Well, I missed I, that. I, he, do, I I don't think the ref gave it for a push by the cornerback. Genuinely looking shock
3: on Maliki's face
0: here. But he
1: definitely thought <laughs> that Rory Megan took him that. Yeah. Um, no, I,
3: I, look at the Sunday game. I think he did give us for the push because he, he um, Kevin McSain pointed that. I, mean, I take it all re- back then I declared it for a push, but I thought I thought it was very very soft to be honest.
0: But looking forward, Paul, from here, great chance for Kevin to get to an Ulster final now. Yeah.
3: But I, I imagine Kevin are going to be favourites going in against Arman um Given that, given that we've just beaten beaten the, like one of the big three I suppose, in Ulster. Um and Mickey Graham will should be able to keep their feet on the ground. Like what Mickey said in, in an interview last week was that you only have to basically throw a scrap to the cabins supporters and, yes. and they will feast on it. <laughs> and we can see that already. Like it's it's unbelievable the buzz that's been around the county even. And this is Monday morning, but even all day yesterday, everyone is buzzing about it. Everyone's posting about it on social media. And, Tone us up and um with texts and it's it's just it's it's like uh, I compared them to a to a standing army and it just takes mm. sort of a call to mobilize these 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 cabin supporters and and they will come out in massive numbers. We see a big crowd for that. Uh, can they go and win it? I, I think they can, yeah. there have a couple of players actually, um that Graham didn't didn't pick the last day. There's a fellow called Kevian you know, O'Reilly who's who's a player that I I think he's fantastic, but for some reason it just hasn't happened for him yet at senior level but um, Mickey chose to, chose to leave him off the 26 this weekend which was a massive to talk about before the game because he's just come back from injury and a lot of people thought he might be a bolter for the team but he didn't He didn't make the 26 I, I'd imagine he'd come back into it um, surely he would come into the reckoning, and then you have Michael argue who's just back from injury made the 26 but didn't come on so there are a couple of players to come in um, which will strengthen things um, obviously our man Calvin there's a bit of history there and um As a cabin supporter, I would have prepared, preferred to play down because our Man cabin games are just horrible. They're usually poisonous type of affairs, and um, I'm I'm going to say that's not Cavan's fault, but it's just <laughs> it's going to be one of those games that's just going to it's going to take a lot out of everyone for it like that.
1: It's uh but it, it now is the time though, Paul. Like you know, you you are of course entirely correct about the standing army thing, but like. Uh, I only know this stat from reading your your writing. Like every other Ulster team has been in an Ulster final since Cavan were in an Ulster final. Like this is for for a county with their history, which they always drone endlessly on about. uh, They they can't keep the like this has to end soon. They need Ulster needs them in an Ulster final and Cavan needs to be in an Ulster final. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean that that's that is a shocking statistic. Like Antrim in it. In, I think it was 2009. Antrim beat Cavan yeah. in the semi-final. But that year, with all due respect, Cavan had Fermanagh at home in a quarter-final, and then Antrim beat Donegal. So he had Antrim in a semi-final mm-hmm. to make the final. And I think Cavan thought they were they were already in it. And Antrim beat them well. That the Fermanagh have been in it twice, and everyone else has been in it, and several counties have won it. So it, it's it is it's it's terrible. And if you t- if you take it like up until the late 50s, we had never gone. Hardly a year without getting mm. to the final, and then you had um, from fifty from fifty six to sixty two. They didn't get to the final, and it was basically the end of the war. Looking back through the newspaper, I yeah. people were just couldn't believe it. But um, and no, it's never gone eighteen years before. So it is a huge it is a huge opportunity, but also it's 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 a chance for these players to earn a little bit of respect because there's. The thing, I always feel in hindsight that the whole um, social media thing of the future is blue was a big mistake by Cavan because it's, it's hard to say tangibly what it did but mm. I, I felt that it, it kind of set this general feeling in the county that the good times are just around the corner and I described it once as Cavan were a team whose who's best year is always next year and that yeah. did seem the way, that, mm. the way it was going there for four or five years it was like it's only a matter of time before we win something and it, it just never happened they never actually went out and made it happen. They had a few big chances against Monaghan, but when it came down to Monaghan, we were always able to be the ones that would reach out and grab it. So there's probably still a feeling out there, and probably maybe Terry Highland would have propagated this a bit, and even um, McLean and De- definitely would have, that Kavanagh are a young team. But Kavanagh are certainly not a young team at the minute. They're a very seasoned team. Like, if you look through this right from, from the defence, I won't go through them all, but like if Ray McGallaghan is there since 2008, um, Martin Riley's there since, since 07 Killian uh, Clark and Grodden mm. McKernan are there since 2011 Mackie's there since 05 even McVitie who's only he's only 25 he's in there straight out of minor since 2014 um, and there's a lot more experience there as well so it's really like, to be honest though, a lot of those fellas are re- I won't say they're reaching the end of their career but they're certainly in their prime and there's there have a lot less years to come than has than, than already gone behind them like Gerold McKern and those boys they're all 28, 29 yeah. now. Now's so the time. now now really is the time for mm-hmm. Calvin
1: well uh, you, you will of course carry my uh, my good graces and confidence the rest of the way until uh, somebody gives you the hiding you so richly deserve and um, <laughs> thanks a million cheers Paul thanks so much for coming on no problem Matthew. thank you take it easy We will finish with the doings and goings in the Hurling Championship yesterday. Uh, All-Iron Champions beaten. Uh, Tipperary still madly on top. And uh, I was at the game of the championship so far uh, between Dublin and Wexford. Uh, Sean, Moran, you were in Limerick uh, watching, watching Limerick, uh, you know, watching their year fall to dust uh, just like that.
4: Yeah, it is... Extraordinary how these how these things happen. Um, that a team as lionized as Limerick have been, and I mean, largely justly so over the the last twelve months. I mean, ironically, it was uh, or coincidentally, it was kind of twelve months to the the day since they opened up by beating Tipperary in twenty eighteen, which was the kind of launching pad for the great uh, championship they had last year. And uh, back in the same venue, and uh, yeah, the, the, as happens in this championship, you 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 lose uh, your your first match, and suddenly all um, those forebodings that Jackie Gerald was to for uh, suddenly you know <laughs> uh, shimmer into view. You know, you lose your first first match, and suddenly you're, you're, you're under pressure. Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't it interesting? Yeah. A- after last year, where only two teams won uh, away from home. Um, there's already three teams on of, of mm. the four matches in Munster today three three have been away wins
0: mm-hmm. I, I thought Sean watching Cork yesterday though and having seen them the previous week against Tipperary they were absolutely anaemic was the only word to describe them down in Parkie Cueve last week and to call this full-blooded then would be an understatement they absolutely tore into everything it's a stunning kind of turnaround that they've produced in just seven days
4: Yeah, it was. And, you know, there was obviously a lot of talk afterwards about to what extent they had the advantage of having played last week. And, in fact, leading up to this championship, it was commented on that Limerick would be uh, coming to the table, as it were, after Cork had a a match under under their belt. And I don't think anyone kind of foresaw that Cork's match would be as uh, dispiriting as it was, but maybe that added to, to things because the old cliche: you learn more in defeat than than in winning matches. And they they just they got such a, a, an awful diagnosis last last week that they had to respond to it. And what was interesting was obviously the attitude. What what you're saying is is true that they were they were they were far more uh, aggressive and they were they were far more. Um, Uh, you know, uh, aware of the need to to challenge the the other team as opposed to try and play play around them. Uh, But also, I mean, John Myler, in fairness, made changes, not all of which looked as if they were going to be uh, life-saving changes, but they all worked out uh, really well. And I must say, in the first half, I could see all this, but I was reminded of the previous week where Cork had looked you know, competitive against Tipperary, um, even though Tip looked on top, and, uh, and fell away in the second half. And I thought that maybe Limerick, after their long gaps since the league final, might have been just finding their way in the first half, and that we'd see a more recognisable team after the break. But the opposite happened. I mean, Cork really uh, stepped on 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 the pedal, and and Limerick just fell away under the under the force of, of it all. So it was it was remarkable. In one way, because no one was expecting it, but in another way, that monster Championship is, is, is so tight, there's just further evidence of it that, uh, you know, a team playing not so well and a team playing very well. There's very few of the fixtures that wouldn't be within that parameter to go either way. Do
1: you think, Sean, people might... People's memories are short too, you know, like... Cork played Limerick twice last year uh, and drew with them once and really had them beaten in the, in the All-Ireland semi-final. Um, uh, and you're, is it just a matter of being sort of governed by the, the latest shiny thing that happened, that, that they were so wan and callow against Tip the previous week that people completely forgot the fact that they gave Limerick their two, two best matches almost of, of the year last year?
4: Absolutely. I mean, I, just, I think the comparison of those comedy films where people rush from one side of the boat and when it looks like it's going to capsize on that side, they rush to the other <laughs> side. It, it's a bit like what's ha- happening here. You know, like uh, after last week, you know, Cork are dead and mm. now, you know, Cork are championship contenders uh, again. And, and, and dead. the point The dead. The point you make about them is it, it is correct, but it's even more extensive than that. In the last... Uh, in the last year, in the last twelve months, um, uh, Limerick have played Cork four times, and they've never once beaten them in in, in seventy minutes. You know, I mean, they've, they've, in, and this is an, an, an interesting aspect of it. That in a little regarded uh, precedent during this year's league, Cork were the only team to beat Limerick, and they went to the Gaelic Grounds and, and did it. Mm. Um, but you know, people previewing the match I have to say myself included said like this this is of no relevance Uh, but it is now four matches that uh, John Myler's team have played uh, Limerick and as I said they haven't been beaten in in, in 70 minutes which I know is an artful way of glossing over the semi-final the All Ireland semi-final victory last year but it does show that the margins between the teams hasn't been great
0: One of the most bizarre aspects though of it Sean like I don't think we can necessarily ascribe any grand plan to Cork here the very fact that Mark Ellis was apparently on the terrace last week in Parky Cueve and was the solution at centre-back yesterday is a bizarre turn of events.
4: Yeah, it, sure. I mean, this is what my point about what, when you looked at the Cork team, when it came out you said, God, Mark Ellis. Mark Ellis is uh, a player who's had a lot of experience playing at centre-back for Cork, but the current Cork management have clearly decided that he wasn't to be their, their centre-back. And uh, And then, when the, the the alarm went last week, Tim O'Mahony, in whom like a lot of hope had been in, invested, was set to one side, and Mark Ellis plucked from the plucked from the crowds and, and put back on on, on the field. Um, Shane Kingston, who I felt was you know one of their better forwards besides uh, Pat Organ in in, in, in Parky Queve, was dropped. And Aidan Walsh put in there. Uh, kind of what that looked kind of strange What's that about? But but like Aiden Walsh was uh, provided a, a really important ingredient for them yesterday of a physicality and ability to kind of disrupt things for Limerick um you know around that, that 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 middle third area where they've been so strong over the last 12 months i mean everything Everything went wrong for John Miller last week and everything kind of came up roses for him uh, this week. It's just the nature of, of the thing. But it's, it's still a hell of a swing in seven days.
0: Even the Alan Cadigan um, <laughs> enforced substitution went his way really, didn't it? Yeah.
4: Well, that was a bit more, I won't say it's predictable, but, you know, I, I think it showed yesterday about a loss uh, Cadogan was them last year when when, when he missed the, ch- the championship. Um, he and he, he wasn't fully fit, and he had another injury. Came back, but they were always just waiting for him to get get back uh, on the field. Now, obviously, the circumstances were unfortunate. Uh, Conor Lahan injuring himself so early in the match, but it gave Cadogan an opportunity to to come on. And uh, John Minor was making this point afterwards because let's say the two big uh, problems surrounding Cork. Uh, and, and this is anticipated before the championship question, the extent to which they've been addressed during the league. One was their defence. Like, how reliable is their defence? And, you know, the answer last week in Parkie Quay was not very. And then secondly, the, the strength of their bench, because one of the reasons they lost to Limerick in extra time in the All-Ireland semi-final last year was the contrasting power off the uh, off the bench. And uh, and yet yesterday we we, we saw that... Cork have a have a rather uh, more extensive panel now at their disposal than they would have had last year, and now obviously, you know, Captain is part of that, not simply because he's back from from injury, but uh, but they, they they have managed to, and and might have made this point because if they say. Probably heard the criticism lots of times that you know you don't have much much impact off off the bench and uh, and they did yet yeah, they did yesterday I mean uh, you know Dawson came off a couple of couple of, and and the, the contrast was made with, like Limerick were were really uh, you know uh, burning it up off the bench uh, last year um, and really kind of adding to their their impact when uh, when 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 John Kiley ran the bench you know in fifty fifty five. I mean, it's yesterday, all they got from it were two frees from, from from Shane Dowling. So a big swing there as well in, in the, the, the strengths of the teams on yesterday's showing.
0: Markey, never mind the Munster Championship Indeed. and, uh, <laughs> and you know, the notions it has about itself. Mm. You were in Parnell Park for the, the best hurling game that we've had so far this year.
1: Well, I mean, it was definitely the most exciting and th- why God so compelling? Like, it was so tense and tetchy and claustrophobic. Is the way I put it in the paper. Like at halftime, it was eleven each at halftime. Uh, both teams had had eight wides. Both teams had had six frees. Like they, they were almost like both teams had had withdrawn a defender, a seven defender slash sweeper. Although Matty Kenny it, doesn't does not like us calling it a sweeper, uh what, what, what Sean Moran is. Um uh, Both like. The puck-out stuff was really fascinating to watch. Like, Sean Murphy was marking Danny Sutcliffe and really putting him off his game. Danny had a nightmare uh, and yet was still kind of popping up to take puck-out. He scored two identical points uh, straight from Mark Fanning's puck-out. Fanning lasered 50-yard puck-outs that didn't go above shoulder height and he caught it and just turned and put it over the bar, which you can do in Parnell Park because it's, it's, it's a tighter pitch than everywhere else. Um, and it was just this really, really uh, tense game. And at half time you were going, I have zero idea who wins this. You know, like, there was no sign that either of them were going to put any clear water. Dublin came out, second half... Uh, their half back line kind of took over. Chris Crummy really took over. Sean Moore and uh, Shane Barrett and Keen um, Boland was kind of bombing on from sort of in or around that area and scoring. Scoring. He scored three points uh, from play. Um, and they were five up with sort of 15 minutes to go. Fanning made two great saves from Paul Ryan uh, to keep Wexford in it. Uh, and then. Essentially, Dublin gave away two of two very similar goals. Um, Kenny has them playing the ball out of defence. He wants them to take care of the ball. He does it. And, and, and to be fair to him, as he pointed out afterwards, when Wexford are playing with at least one sweeper, and now he was claiming that they had a second one, but let's just say they have plenty of men back, uh, just kind of turning and striking as soon as you get the ball in the Dublin half-back line probably isn't the way to go. But they had got a couple of bad bounces. Uh, I think was it was it Owen O'Donnell for the first? Or I think it was Sean Moore for the first one. Went to control a ball on his hurley and it hopped up off it and straight away Wexford were in. Bang bang bang, three passes. Liam Moog McGovern cuts inside, uh, rifles to the net. Ten minutes later, same thing. Chris Cumming coming out with a ball, misplaced pass. Bang bang bang. Jack O'Connor puts Rory O'Connor in, or Liam Moog put uh, Rory O'Connor in. Great finish. Two goals in five minutes, huge or two goals in seven minutes. Huge Wexford crowd there. Roof came off the place, and um, they were they were done. They were out the gap like seventy-five minutes, fifth minute of injury time. Uh, one last long ball into Liam Rush gets it fouled, but like still, like it it wasn't even a free in the middle of the goal. It was to the to the right, a twenty-meter free to the right on the on the D, and Sean Moore stood up and took it. Didn't I? Don't think he caught it. Exactly right, mm-hmm. uh, and it kind of went low. Keeper probably should have saved it. Like Davey Fitz was going was was afterwards, you know. <laughs> the local local uh, radio guy from Wexford went, and Mark Fanning made four great saves. Davy didn't he? And Davy went, eh. he made. He made one very good save but he should have saved the the free at the end. Uh, he was very disappointed to let it in.
0: Brendan Cummins th- reckoned on the Sunday game that your, um, Sean Moran's Hurley had twisted just as he hit yeah. it which probably took any spin off the ball and might have complicated and w- matters. And it was
1: low and it skidded underneath them. Mm. Uh, they had sort of seven on the line but but Fanning was out front and probably should have got his stick to it. Like, it,
4: it, it, Tell me this Malachy. Um, there was a lot of uh, Talking the papers over the weekend, you, yourself wrote a piece on on, on Dublin's travails with free takers mm. and that, and there was a piece on uh, Dublin's forwards in some designs. Um How did you think they, they, they looked? I mean, I think everyone felt about them this this championship: good good defence, questionable attack. Uh, do, do you think have, have they? Have they Added to that, so they all
1: look not more ent- likely to get not entirely. And it's interesting, you know, that you watch Dublin down the years and you go, right, who is their forward? Danny Sutcliffe is is the the one of them that has a bit of bit of magic that that the rest of them don't have. But he had an absolute nightmare yesterday. I think he had four wides uh, and uh, was just never never looked on it. Uh, what they've done with Eamon Dillon is really interesting because like he was. I, I always look at him as their goal threat and yet he's playing a sort of a wing-forward role. Uh, he got just got up for one point yesterday. The threat in their forwards was not... It wasn't big. Like Keeney scored two points, uh, came off with 20 minutes to go. Paul Ryan scored an early point from the sideline but and, and his free... In, in fairness, he missed his first free but scored the rest of them. Uh, and Rush wasn't in the game as much as he was against Kilkenny. So, like, you're not... You look around the contenders, you look around the, the other eight, nine... God, you even look through Wexford. Now, Wexford play with... They withdraw everybody and leave Conor McDonnell up there to fight a, a kind of a lone battle. But, like, Rory O'Connor is a classy forward. Leemode McGovern is a classy forward. Dublin, you know, they're they're building a score from from freeze, long-range freeze. Like, Sean Moran was again... Like, he scored 1-2 yesterday along with 1-1 the week before and he's the center back like uh, they were getting points from deep you know uh Tomás Connolly got two from midfield as i said um uh, Cian Boland scored three on the run basically breaking out of defense Chris Crummy did the same um, so their their threat seems to come from back the field rather than rather than up front like their their, their attack it just isn't that potent you know
4: overall it was a better result for Wexford
1: uh, you would have said so with 15 minutes to go but they were three you know they've kind mm. of like it leaves it, it le- both of them sort of need a result against Galway now whereas had either of them won they might have got away without the result against Galway do you know yeah. what I'm saying like both of them yeah. Yeah. both of them but really they, need to find something against Dublin, Gal- yeah. Dublin
4: particularly because they, they've got one Parnell Park card left to play and it's yeah. against Galway it's against was was an interesting yesterday those uh Kenny kind of showed uh, what what the what maybe what the going race right would be mm. when, when playing Carlo. Where it's. Galway seem to really struggle to get past them and you you wonder where Galway are at the uh, at, at the moment because gotta yeah. take a big step up from well, that.
1: That'll be it. Now, so the next Sunday Galway Wexford is the it's actually the only hurling game of the weekend. So that'll be um and that'll be huge for all concerned. Listen, Sean, that'll do us. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the line. Uh, thank you to Gavin who's in earlier talking rugby, and to Paul Fitzpatrick of the Anglo self for uh, Talking me through Cavan's win over Monaghan. Uh, thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to Jenny and Deck behind the desk. And we will see everybody next week. Cheers, folks.